Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week we are discussing part one of part four, chapters 17 through 19. Okay, so chapter 17. Lockwood leaves Portland Row for supplies. George researches Coombe Carey Hall at the National Archives. And Lucy shows the ghost of Annabelle Ward a picture. Yeah. Just before we get into it, I will say I was kind of on Lucy's side about being annoyed that she was just left at home to make sandwiches. Not that I don't think they were all assigned to the right jobs, but still I would feel the same way. I'd be like, of course the boys leave me at home to make sandwiches and pack bags. <laughs> Even though it does it does indeed make sense with their talents. And I don't but not their capital T lowercase T, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I don't think they know her like full usefulness anyway right now. And it ends up that she does like the thing that she's really good at anyway so and it's yeah it's not yeah. making sandwiches so but like even if they knew that she was the best listener basically alive at the time that would still be her job staying at home you know for this particular instance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because lockwood has to go out and spend the money and george has to go out and research yep but i'm just saying i'm on her side with being annoyed about it anyways anyways the art for this chapter is the iron circle with annabelle ward it's very creepy. She has like a ghost light to her and there's like light peeking through the holes of the chains and stuff on the floor. It's very cool. I don't know why I'm just talking about this now, but I find the style with these drawings so interesting because they're always kind of not quite in focus. Mm -hmm. Like they don't look good quality, but obviously books can do great quality. So it's a choice. It looks like it's on a 1970s VHS tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's blurry and distorted. Yeah. That's how pictures of ghosts always look and Bigfoot and stuff like, you know, like paranormal pictures, UFOs are never in focus. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Do they, did they have VHS in the 1970s? I don't think they did. I don't think so. So we open the chapter with Lucy and George yelling at, at Lockwood because they agree. I think this is the first time we've seen it in this book. And I love that. I love that for them. And it picks up right where we left off with Lockwood. Like, there's no need to debate, sir. We will definitely take the job. And they're both like, what? I assume they waited until Fairfax had left. And then they were like, we will murder you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we will live because we're not going to live through this house. <laughs> he kind of lays down the law. Uh, I think that his reasons get worse and worse. As he has like his three reasons why they need to do this. Yes. But uh, he's basically like, we don't have a choice. We won't exist as an organization anymore. Uh, I own the company. So what I say goes. And then like, isn't it going to be a cool adventure? I've wrote down that I like how he, he flip flops from being very adult to very childish. Yeah. You made this point like early in the book. And I keep yeah. thinking about it, like how Book Lockwood is really like clinging to his childhood. And I think that's so true. You can see it here because he thinks that third reason's the best reason. And it's the most childish reason. We get Lucy's perspective on this later where she absolutely does think they should do it. But because of that first reason, but Lockwood absolutely thinks they should agree because of the third reason. It'll be cool. Like at one point, I think it's Lucy who says, you know, I don't think you're taking this seriously. And he says he's taking it very seriously. We go to Coombe Carey Hall. We put our lives at risk. Make no mistake about that. But isn't that what we do? Yeah. I remember talking to you when we were doing the, the show that you didn't pick up on him having a death wish at all in, in the first two books. Mm. And I think that's kind of where it shines through in moments like that, where he's just like, yeah, whatever. We put our life on the line. Mm-hmm. It's more subtle than it was in the show mm -hmm. and more subtle than it is in later books. Yeah. I mean, they don't play it subtle in the show. It's like, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> it's like he's really going for it sometimes. That's a good point, though. I mean, this choice is really crazy. Um, yeah. Like, I believe Lockwood. Like, he needs this to work. I don't know what the alternative for him personally is. And for Lucy, there's not much of an alternative. But like, it's crazy. It's a crazy thing to do. Yeah, I guess George is the interesting one, because that's a man who can just go home. Mm -hmm. um, so a little later on down the page, they mention that they got burglarized 12 hours ago. And I'm just like, please go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I 
because <laughs> I don't think they have. And then they immediately start preparations. And I'm like, you are growing teenagers. You need lots of sleep. Make decisions after you've slept. Yeah, they switch from being up all night to being up all day because they have to go like Lockwood has to go shopping and do all the secret stuff that he's doing. And the archives aren't open at night. So that's when George has to go the way that the world is built. It's a good thing to remember, though, because it's like other organizations probably have like dedicated researchers who don't necessarily like have to go out into the field. And so they can be up during the day or they have like dedicated libraries that'll be open 24 seven. And that's just not they just don't have those resources. I wonder if that's true. Because so we knew we know George used to work for Fitz. But we never hear about him going on jobs or anything with Fitz. Mm -hmm. We never really hear about anything that he did that wasn't stealing the skull. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd be interested to know exactly like if he had a team, if he went on jobs, or if he was, like you said, a dedicated researcher. That seems like a waste of a talented youth. Oh, yeah. I, you, know, you think they'd employ adults. Yeah, I would assume that the researchers would be the older, untalented, like once you've grown out of it. Yeah. Then you could transition into that job, yeah. That one other option other than DPREC or, you know, alcoholism. <laughs> right, yeah. Becoming a relicman. Yeah. Lucy does bring up that they still have the necklace, you know, and like I said, they got burglarized. So there's other things going on that they have to pay attention about. And Locke was just like, whatever, he goes in jail. We have the necklace. It can wait a couple days. <laughs> yeah. I get it because... Lockwood was only paying attention to the Annabelle Ward thing because he thought it could help them make the money, but doing this will get them the money. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get his thinking there, but also they're kind of in the middle of it now with keeping the source from the police and everything. But he tells you like a weird thing. I, I noted it here because I was just like, it just feels weird where he says, I want you to have the ghost girl's necklace. We'll deal with it in a couple of days, but in the meantime, look after it carefully for me. Keep it on you as before. And it's like, okay, <laughs> is it safer with her than locked up in the house? I, she's in the house. Like, I don't know how it's safer. And I don't know if this is, it's, it's, diff it's literally difficult for me to know, like given the whole book and we're kind of doing the book with full spoilers. So like, I don't know when Lockwood knows what he knows. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. I, I feel like he solves the case while they're in the haunted house. He has a moment in this chapter where I think he starts putting it together. Right. So that's part of the question. But I feel like in a lot of ways, starting with this chapter, Lockwood gets taken over by the needs of the plot and begins to do like a lot of setup for things that pay off later. And this is one of them right here. It just feels right. weird. I don't know. I, I can, I don't disagree, but I can make it work in my head just in that they were just burglarized. So may as well keep it on themselves because it is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is also dangerous. That's kind of what bothers me is that it's dangerous and that it's yeah. also like, you know, if we solve this murder, it would be like a great kind of viral story for us and drum up business. Mm -hmm. But now we're in the middle of something else where we've kind of solved the problem of needing money. And I would just expect his character to like not care about it anymore. If he said instead, if he was like, wear it, don't wear it. It doesn't matter to me. Do what you want, Luce. Like that would yeah. that would feel more like Lockwood. Or just not say anything at all. Mm -hmm. And Lucy's just like, well, I'm keeping it. Yeah. The, yeah, I agree. That would have been better. Uh, I assume Stroud felt he needed to bring attention to the fact that Lucy was keeping it. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You can just feel or I can I, I can feel like the gears of the plot, which is fine. Like you you have to do that stuff. It's and there's a lot of like setup and payoff that happens in these last couple parts. So I mean, whatever, but you can like really see the gears moving. I feel like about that scene, though, where he tells her to keep the necklace, I'd never really put it together before, but I did say that this means that in three out of the five books, he gives Lucy a necklace. That's true. He does. <laughs> so it's like he starts here and then works his way up to better necklaces. <laughs>
I did like Lockwood asking Lucy if his rural accent sounded good. Mm-hmm. That was great. Oh, and at one point when Lucy was setting up uh, stuff in the basement, the skull was just mouthing words at her through the murky glass. And I just wrote down, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> I was wondering what he was saying. Uh, I know. It's so sad that we don't know. <laughs> Nothing good. Probably just calling them all idiots for taking this job and that they were going to die. I mean, that's true. He's right. Speaking of the sandwiches and stuff, there's a weird thing here. I don't know if you noticed where in the British version, whatever, it's mm-hmm. she's making jam sandwiches. But then in the American version, she's making cheese sandwiches. Interesting. The only place I've ever been served a just cheese sandwich was in England. <laughs> so I did not think that that's where the difference would be. Like I've had lots of grilled cheese sandwiches, especially when I was a kid, but I've never had like, here's cold pieces of cheese on cold bread. I have in England. Uh, so that was, we were staying at a hostel with a bunch of teenagers. I, we were, I was an adult at the time. And uh, the deal with the hostel was that they would send us out with a packed lunch. And their vegetarian option was some white bread with butter on it and some cheese. <laughs> I felt real bad for the girls who were vegetarians. That's so good. They should have had jam sandwiches because that would have been a lot better. I actually don't enjoy jam on untoasted bread. Yeah. We're talking about this way too much. I know, I know. It's just weird. It's funny. The things that they change and the things that they don't change, it just is like, wow, I would love to know. Yeah, with the decision making. Yeah. Is there like a style manual? Is it just the discretion of some editor? Or it's weird. You'd think if it was a jam sandwich in the England in the British version, why wouldn't they make it a peanut butter and jam sandwich yes, in the American? That's what I thought. I was like, why change it to cheese? It's so weird. It's very different. But whatever. Like it doesn't it literally doesn't matter, but I, it was just one of those things as I was reading, I was like, why? It absolutely matters. The the differences are the most important part of the podcast. I guess. I just haven't been comparing them. So I've been dropping the ball. <laughs> uh, but about here is where Lucy does think about how she agrees that they have to do the job. They just don't have any choice if they want the company to continue. Yeah. And then Barnes gives her a call to let her know that they're letting the red herring go. Yeah. Hugo. His name just escaped me for a second. His there name is Red. Like, uh, yeah, Red. <laughs> Mr. Red Herring. <laughs> Um, and he does on that phone call <laughs> refer to them all as idiots. Yeah. And I love an authority figure who calls children idiots to their face. Yeah. It's perfect. It's really good. I think that this and and all of the barn stuff has like a cumulative effect. It's part of what drives Lucy's decision here, I think, to be like Barnes cannot be trusted to solve this case because she kind of thinks like, I should really give the locket to them. They need this clue to figure it out. That's why Hugo's going free because we didn't give them the clue that they needed. And like, she Mm -hmm. feels responsible. But then when you think about what a doofus Barnes is, it calls her an idiot on the phone. He's just like bad at his job. And so he just clearly cannot be trusted to do this. And so she has to do it herself. Bad at his job and then blaming everyone else for it. Yeah. I think that, like, if he was constructed like the Barnes in the show, this decision that she makes would be less justified. If that makes sense. Right. You know what I mean? But, but they also, in the show, they gave him that unreasonable, like, uh, unreasonable from Lucy and Lockwood's point of view, demand that Lockwood fire her and she go home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, like, I like that they kept him as being an untrustworthy figure without making him incompetent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, in there she just has no choice but to like Yeah. but to make Lockwood and Co work because like her life is unlivable otherwise. But like the same is true here. Yeah. It's just not as in the forefront. Yeah. Um so then she thinks about releasing Annabelle Ward in quote unquote controlled circumstances. Yeah, I think this is I mean, it's a terrible choice, but like, it's as good as she could do it, I think, by herself. Like, it it all seems really good. 
She says, it would certainly put my life at risk, though I could easily get around that. Worse, it would risk the wrath of Lockwood. (laughs) Right. Which I guess being fired might be better than being killed. I mean, worse than being killed. This, I mean, this is also, you know, to go back to the whole thing that we've been talking about the whole time, like this would never be in the Fitz manual, right? This isn't how you right, yeah. do ghost hunting. You don't interview ghosts. You don't try to like show them evidence. And so, but it's the thing that Lucy feels like she needs to do. And so it's like deconstructing that process and like thinking more carefully about empathizing with the victim and like trying to do all that stuff. So she's like digging into the actual the problem. That's so interesting, though, that you point that out, that trying to talk to ghosts would not be in the Fitz manual because Marissa Fitz was the one who could talk to ghosts. Right. Yeah. From what we know here in book one, we can presume that her talking to ghosts is how she figured out how to contain them, how to destroy them. Mm hmm. So... In a way, that's how she wrote the manual. Yeah. And it's treated as like, I'm the exception that proves the rule. Like you should, you know, like I got it figured out. Don't worry about it anymore. Interesting. I also really thought, (laughs) this is so childish of me. But at one point, uh, Lucy calls her, she describes her iron chain as a stout two-incher. And it really just put me in mind of a bunch of agents in a locker room comparing their iron chains. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. It's just, I don't know. It was just like, why? Why are you calling your iron chain stout? Yeah. Like, it just felt like she has a personal relationship with this chain, which maybe they do. You know, these things save their lives. There probably is like a whole like gauge treatment in the Fitz manual that's like for this kind of, for a changer, you want to use a one and a half incher and a, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or everyone has their preferred size mm-hmm. and thickness, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have to tell other people that they are the correct, you know, that this this chain saved my life. Right. <laughs> they probably have lucky chains. They do. Until yeah. they die. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. So then she tries to talk to Annabelle Ward. Yeah, I think this is extremely cool. She's doing this whole thing in the basement. It's really easy to picture. Mm-hmm. She's kind of like being a medium, which is not like a thing. I guess that's the thing that you could call Marissa Fitz as like someone who speaks to the dead and stuff. It's not like a seance or anything. It's much more, this feels like much more scientific, I guess. Yeah, the books really do, like they never even approach using those types of terms. Mm-hmm. Like, there's never a medium or a seance or anything like that, or summoning the dead or anything like that. But it's not that different from, like, a summoning circle. That's what the summoning circle does, right? Like, it'll contain the demon or angel that you're summoning or whatever. And so, like, it operates structurally the same way, but, like, it just feels totally different. Now that you point that out, it feels like a deliberate choice that Stroud made to not bring that kind of imagery into the books but because i'd never even thought about it before yeah i think it's super smart because it it all because that stuff is so like fuzzy and mushy and it and it feels like even in this world it's kind of like well that's a bunch of like guff it's like not real yeah it's definitely not in the fitz manual right yeah it's not it's not a way to do inquiry but then what she does here is like super interesting to me that like the ghost can it's not just locked into like some kind of cycle like it strongly responds to seeing this picture and yeah she has like a mind of her own this kind of proves it which is very interesting yeah i did also write down a note here because i think this is one of the first clear instances we get of lucy's recklessness versus lockwood's recklessness Mm mm-hmm Because they're both pretty reckless, just in very different ways. If she wanted to do this, why wouldn't she wait till the other two were home to talk it out with them, to go over the safety measures, to be fully prepared with three of them? You know, she was just like, "Mm, they might say no, so I'm going to do it, which is (laughs) (laughs) exactly what Lockwood would do, except this 
like the thing that he that Lucy is doing is not something that Lockwood would do. He would just say yes to taking a big scary job where they were all going to die without conferring with his teammates. Yeah. She thinks this is okay because she's contained the danger to herself. Yeah. <laughs> There's something there that's a big like, well, if I die, too bad for me, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, maybe Lockwood feels that way in some sense too, but like, I guess maybe she doesn't realize that they, George and Lockwood already care about her. Like, it wouldn't be okay, actually. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, absolutely. I think she trusts herself to do this, though. I think she feels like she's got it. She's not being like crazy. No, no, I don't think so either. I don't think there's a part of her that thinks something bad is going to happen to her yeah. here. I think she feels confident that she's set it up right and that she can do it and that it will help. But she does say that it is, like, she does mention that it is a risk to her life. And then, but like I said before, and then she's like, but also Lockwood could be mad at me, which would be worse. Yeah. <laughs> so then once she shows Animal Ward the picture, Animal Ward freaks out. Lucy has a real physical reaction. Like she's, there's wind in the room. She's blown across the room and there's a piercing scream. And I wish the other two had been there. Because would they have heard this scream? Probably not. Mm, that's interesting. But would they have been blown back the way Lucy was? Because she kind of implies that it was the force of the scream that blew her back. Well, it says, too, that the... I can I can only think of the one named Esmeralda. The, the dummies. Yes, th the dummies. That they get blown against the ceiling. And they... So there's like a physical manifestation of this thing that like is knocking all the objects back and it also she said that she like kind of braided the chain a little bit and that it blew the chain completely out and tight out, in yeah. a circle so like it increased the radius of the chain or whatever that's or at least that's how i understood the description to be so i think there's like a there is a physical like boom that happens it's just an interesting sentence because she does. It goes a piercing psychic scream, a howl of grief and fury, knocked me off my feet. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just wish we could have had somebody there to compare their reaction. <laughs> and then she still has one of her flares or whatever in her pocket, so she banishes the ghost. And then Lockwood and George come in. Um, I do love that George is so angry at her here, and they're back to arguing with each other. But it's also clear that George was worried about her. Yeah. And that's why he's so mad about this. Brother-sister stuff. Yeah, exactly. Where you to call the person you love an idiot and <laughs> things like that. Because they're your brother or sister. And like immediately descends into what you did was worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then George being like, no, 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 you did this. She's like, you got in the tub naked with it. I know. <laughs> That's what you always do with your family. Yeah. You you have all the ammunition and the gun. You're waiting until the argument yep. starts to bring up all the things. Yeah, we find out a lot of things here about George that are interesting. <laughs> he likes bubble baths. <laughs> Lockwood is pretty quiet during all the arguing, but he does eventually come in and he. this is where I think he starts to put things together because I think it's obvious that he's recognized Fairfax in the photo. Yeah. She says to him, and I don't know how I feel about this sentence, if she really believes it or if it's part of her argument. She says, I did what we should have done originally. I showed Annie Ward these pictures. What are they of? Hugo Blake. What did she do? She went ballistic. I've never heard such a scream. And so, like, she's kind of post facto justifying herself. Like, this proves because of who's in the picture what's going on which is like a huge clue when you reread the book because like you said like who is in the picture and yeah hugo blake's there but he's not the only one um and then he ends the chapter with um george saying or you know or what is it uh lucy saying is it as bad as fairfax said referring to coon carry hall and then george saying no it's almost certainly worse mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is just classic, classic. When we get to the end here, Lockwood's sure that, you know, nobody's going to break in because they've extra secured the house. They like added some bars to the windows and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he he says, I don't think we should leave the locket here when we go to Coombe Carey. Bring it with you, Lucy. Keep it around your neck. 
I promise we'll deal with the matter soon, which again feels like set up and feels like that feels like really reckless to this is like a super haunted place and we're going to bring a type two in there with us seems crazy. See, yeah, that only makes sense to me if he at least already suspects Fairfax of being the murderer. Yeah. And that they'll have an opportunity to confront him. Because he kind of asks Lucy, he's like, did you show her the picture like this or like this? Like this or like this? And we don't know what that means, but you would presume like in rereading it, it's like you're covering up someone in the picture with your hand or something like that to where she can see the killer. I agree that it seems like he has kind of like solved it in some sense, but then it feels like later he really puts all the pieces together, but maybe he just has a theory right now. Yeah, that that's the only thing that makes any sense. Because if he did just genuinely go, oh, Fairfax is in this picture, that makes everything make sense. It's like he he has a smart moment, but not that smart. Although I must say, I can absolutely see Lockwood being like, wait, if we go, we can confront him. That's our moment. Right, yeah. (laughs) Which is like, it ends up being the thing. He does do a lot of work to like set up a way to like present it to the to the police and all this kind of stuff too. So it might be the beginning of his plan right here. So then we move into chapter 18, uh, where Lockwood and co travel to Coombe Carey hall and meet Mr. Starkins, the groundkeeper of the mansion. So before we started recording, Alan asked me if I could figure out what the chapter art on this chapter was. Cause he said it looked like a bowling it's ball. It's a bowling ball underwater. <laughs> to be fair, I at first couldn't figure it out either, but then I don't know why, but for some reason, I sort of picked up the book at a different angle, and I could see that it was a skull. Oh, okay. I think they mentioned one the one of the, I don't know, crazy people from the Red Duke. Hall lining skulls up. Yeah. Or, you know, the skulls up of his enemy. So it's not the skull. It is just a skull. Yeah, they don't bring the skull no. on this mission. And I guess... You know, bring, bringing Annabelle Ward, the type two ghost on this mission is crazy and stupid, but maybe it lays the groundwork to be like, look how successfully that went for us. We could just bring a type three and then it's like, that's really going to seal the deal for us on every mission. Yeah, it never causes any problems. <laughs> Skull is always very helpful and does not put weird ideas into Lucy said about murdering her teammates. Yeah. <laughs> He's a huge help. So the first line in this chapter, to get from the London offices of Lockwood & Co., and I immediately wrote down, as opposed to the Bristol and Manchester offices. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a great sentence, though. It's funny. We come across, a, I think it's a bit of a running joke throughout the books that I despise. And that's where Lucy mentions that somehow Lockwood and George just don't have money on them, so she has to buy the tickets. And I feel like it's mentioned again that somehow Lockwood just never has money on him so somebody else has to pay yeah and that just that's not funny to me that's just lockwood being a fucking dick (laughs) and in the part before this too i think fairfax says something like i don't even understand how they can afford to pay you miss carlisle and she's like come to think of it i hadn't been paid in a month yeah i'm not saying that i expect lockwood to pay for everything i'm expecting him to pay for himself yeah 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 (laughs) Like, what the hell? That uh, It's just not funny to me. Anyways, Lucy has this description of the train that is the best, where she says it pootled cheerily. <laughs> and uh, that's the best thing that's ever been written about a train. That's pretty good. Pootled. I was going to say, what happens if I look this up in the dictionary? Pooterish, adjective, <laughs> self-important and mundane or narrow-minded. That sounds like a train, like, get out of my way. I'm big and important. (laughs) We get, like, a really good showcase here of uh, George being prepared for everything. And, like, they spend the train ride with Mm -hmm. George kind of doing his thing of, like, here's everything I learned at the archives. And it makes me think of the very first job at the beginning of the book and how this job contrasts in so many ways, both with the haunted house that ended up, you know, having Lucy lose all of her childhood, but then also Annabelle Ward's house that got burned down and how like Mm -hmm. a lot of things are inverted. So they didn't have George in that first haunted house 
and they didn't have like all of his insight and research and it really, really cost them. And so we're getting to see what that's like this time around. Right. Yes. And it's scary. There's it's bad. All of it's bad. I had forgotten all of these details because I don't think I ever reread this bit because they leave out a lot of this in the show. Yeah. So as I was reading, I wrote down something like, it sounds like maybe these barons, you know, made up that these monks were evil so that they could buy the place. And then Lucy immediately makes that point. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're on the same page. <laughs> but also, I remember you when we were doing the show saying that, um, you know, nothing like what they described these monks to be actually existed. So that kind of made sense to me. Yeah. I mean, we do find out they are, in fact, evil. Um I mean, but so. ghosts are evil. They could have just been monks. And then they became evil as ghosts. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's true. Because it seems like a bunch of rich people killed all these monks, and then the house or the building that that happened in was cursed. Yeah, yeah. So I actually kind of like that idea. Yeah, it's just crazy. The idea that, like, I understand that they're, like, Stroud and also the show is, like, playing with the idea of, like, secretly satanic churches and stuff like that which is like a trope of horror but it, like mm -hmm. it's crazy if you think about it because there would be like maybe there would be some cathar monks and stuff like that in england that definitely happened and like you know to catholics or protestants they would agree like these cathars are evil and should go to hell and we need to kill them as good christians we should murder these people and burn down their house so like right they would have agreed about that. But like the Cathars would not have been like, we're worshiping Satan. Like th there's nobody. <laughs> they come out and be like, uh, just letting everyone in the community know, we will now be worshiping Satan from now on and <laughs> doing blood sacrifices uh, to our Lord and master. So like, that would never happen. Like the people would rise up against them and destroy them. So like you just can't. That's not, not a thing. Um, that's why I like this other sort of feel about it. As far as we get from the books, a type one and type two ghost don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just, or at least not totally, not until somebody can really help them through it. But somebody, I mean Lucy, because she's the only one who can. Um, they just seem to be like, I want to be in my house. Get out of my house. Yeah, exactly. I'll kill you if you don't get out of my house. Annabelle Ward was not a murderer before she died. Yeah. And that's a good point. So, yeah. And then they go through all the horrible stuff that happened after they killed these monks and all of it is pre-problem mm -hmm. so that's really interesting that like if the the original murder of the monks be they evil or not is what cursed the house and the land for all this other weird shit to happen it must have been really bad for it to have this effect before the problem right yeah because they're talking about like a long time ago. Like the 1600s. In the 1600s, and, yeah. yeah. I, I do like the use of the date 1666. That's that's good. I like that, Stroud. Good job. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I did write down, because they talk about the only survivor from the plague becoming a school teacher. And I'm like, was that a job option in the 1600s? <laughs> I, I, I highlighted like that it. thing, I too, because I was like, <laughs> it says... <laughs> George here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Really cracks me up. This is good. This might be my joke. Uh, George consulted his notes. Yeah, he was adopted by a cousin and he became a school teacher, which is a tough break, but he was lucky to get out at all. And like, just a sick teacher burn just like thrown in there. Like, yeah. I like to think um, because we've seen at least on Twitter that Stroud has interacted with Rick Riordan, who did used to be a teacher. Mm hmm. So I choose to believe that was a dig at Rick Riordan in particular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so more bad things. Uh, my next note is about Fairfax. My my next note is about Fairfax fox hunting. Oh, mine too. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can go, though. I've been talking a lot. Well, whatever. I mean, it's just I just noted that he was a big fan of fox hunting. Fairfax loves fox hunting. He likes hunting. He likes fishing. It's just like a list of like shitty rich people stuff in England. So he's yeah, hunting and fishing don't bother me. But the fact that George or Lockwood says specifically fox hunting, fox hunting, I'm like that is evil. Yeah, like I understand hunting and fishing. 
you get to eat what you caught. Well, I think that's it's a maybe little... not maybe not if you're Fairfax. That's fair, but or like a rich person. It's different for us North Americans. This is something that like I have a strong feeling about when it comes to England because it was like mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to hunt and fish if you weren't in the nobility for like oh, right. yes, most yes. of history. And so like it's one of those things that the aristocracy, like part of the thing that capitalism did was like dismantle royalty and the capitalists were like, we want all those things that made the nobles noble, like the good clothes, the good food, the big houses, the hunting. So like, it's just like pretending to be like a Duke or some shit is kind of like the vibe that I get from him here. Yes, that's all fair. I suppose what I mean is normal hunting and fishing just doesn't feel truly evil to me. Yeah, I agree. Fox hunting feels evil to me because nobody eats foxes. Like they use their fur and then you dump the rest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the way that you hunt them is like really terrible where you have all these dogs that run after them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like right after we hear this thing about like Fairfax is an asshole, like big news flash. We knew that already. But the, oh, the theatrical thing. Yeah, the real drop here is, yeah, that he was in the theater. And I love, this is really good, I think, on Stroud's part, uh, where Lucy is like, that's not relevant, is it? Like, she just throws it out of hand. Is like, who cares? Because it's kind of like paired up here with the whole hunting and all of that kind of thing. And he gives to charities and like, blah, 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 blah. But it is like the essential clue that we're going to need. Yeah. And so like, I just love the way that it's thrown out there and immediately thrown away because she's right. It doesn't matter for them getting ready for Coombe Carey Hall. It doesn't feel essential. But when you reread the book, you're like, oh, there it is. There's the big drop. I also like that they mention Othello and not Hamlet here. Yeah. Because I think if you're at all familiar with Shakespeare, it would be easy to put the inscription together with how Shakespeare lines and passages and stuff are you know how you find a particular one because mm-hmm. there is like a specific way that you write it out and when the clue comes back later we do get the hamlet drop and so like, yes it makes it feels of a piece in a way that's like yeah. more natural that's a good point so then they arrive and meet the young taxi driver who takes them on a wild ride through <laughs> england country roads this guy's great I love him. Uh, This is 100% accurate to my own experience driving on England country roads. Yeah. (laughs) Which are very small and the drivers don't care and with lots of blind corners and nobody cares. They'll just speed along. Mm -hmm. Are there speed limits? I don't know. (laughs) What happens if somebody comes along? You just pull off into the trees and hope. (laughs) That's good. Uh, I like this kid, though. He's a bit of a snot, but he's not like a mean snot. I love the thing that he does where he's like, I like that red duffel bag. I could really use it. (laughs) You mind if I come by tomorrow and get it? (laughs) It's so much more sinister than, oh, you're going to die tonight. Yeah, (laughs) it's good stuff. There's like kind of a whole thing in horror fiction where you have a Harold character who not like Harold, the name Harold, but like a Harold who is like, Hark the Herald Angels yes. sing. Yeah. So like yes. there there will be like a character who warns the hero, don't go in there, it's haunted. And then the hero like has to make a choice to do it. And I feel like this kid right, is yes. kind of playing that role. But what I love about Stroud's world is like we don't need that character. It's not necessary at all because like uh, you know, it's like it's their, their job. job. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets to like have fun with those characters, but he he still uses them, but like he uses them in a completely different way where they're like fun. Yeah, Starkins is so over the top He's about telling crazy. them all the bad things that have happened yeah. it, that it is funny because I could see if you were young and reading this, it, this might feel pretty scary without all that. Yeah. Like without this weird kid driving them in and without Starkins being like, and over here, so much death and over here, so much death and over here, more death and oh, and over here, a little bit more death. <laughs> I love that while they're doing it, eventually George is just like, wait for it. He's yeah. going to have the, oh, you think that's a nice rose bush? Turns out 14 orphans were murdered there or whatever yeah. crazy thing that he says. <laughs> when we first meet Starkins, I think somebody calls him ancient or something. And they had a very similar description of Fairfax when we first met him. And I do wonder if these 
older men are actually very ancient and decrepit, or if these are just teenagers describing old people. Yeah, I made the exact same note. I was like, how much of this is Lucy? And how much of this is like, these are mummified humans walking the earth? (laughs) Like, it makes me think of uh, when I was a teenager, my grandma was probably in her 70s, I have to assume. And now she's 95. And like, I definitely thought she was old and decrepit when she was in her 70s. But I was also a teenager then, and now she's, like, very old and decrepit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So... You didn't even know what old was then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, I guess before Starkins goes on his uh, rampage, we have Lockwood's awkward hiding of the bomb, of the flare. Right. We don't know what he's up to. He's like, I really got to go to the bathroom. This is the whole thing that I was saying earlier, that it really feels like... Lockwood is on the set him up now to knock him down later committee of the plot. Yeah, I think the show did this way better because Mm -hmm. this is definitely Stroud wanting us to see that Lockwood has a plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also he could have just had it in his pocket. They weren't like they didn't go through a pat down. Mm -hmm. It kind of like, you know, like we criticized the whole thing of like Fairfax shows up at their house and it's like, How can you not see that this is a huge trap? And this kind of makes it to where Lockwood absolutely did see it's a big trap and he's made his own trap. And I like that idea. I just wish that we were more in on it than we are. I think that would have made it easier for me. I agree with that. And I bet that's what Lockwood is thinking, that he is just underestimating Coombe Carey Hall. Yeah. Because they almost do not make it out. Right. Right. And everything points to Coom Carey being too dangerous. So I don't know. It feels kind of like the important things aren't being, aren't under the spotlight. Yeah. The important things being that he's willing to risk his life and the other's lives to spring the trap instead of just going to the police and explaining everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to bring the police there for his big theatrical reveal instead yeah but we don't know that that's the plan i think i don't know i think it works in the long run i think the story is really good and stroud's doing the stuff that he has to do to set up his ending it's just again you just really feel those gears moving and again like we can't we can't have them go to the police with all the information because then we wouldn't have the big climactic story moment so yeah and the police would fuck it up um no yeah i'm uh I'm fine with Lockwood having made this decision. I just feel like it needs to be talked about afterwards, and it isn't. Yeah, it's not. It's not sufficiently explored. I agree. And it and it's not like if he did, you're right about this, that if he had a moment later, and we're like way out of our where we should be talking about things. But yeah. if there was a moment later where he was like, I had a plan, but I didn't realize how crazy this place would be. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah that I did this to you guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. That would be good. Yeah, or even George or and or Lucy just being like, well, your plan was stupid and we almost died. Right, yeah, exactly. There is like a really good moment here where they pull up to the house that is a very Stroudian kind of juxtaposition that I appreciated. Mm. It says, uh, it was an ugly, oppressive mongrel of a building and I'd have disliked it intensely even if I hadn't known its reputation. Lovely, Lockwood said cheerily. Here's our hotel for the night. (laughs) And then he passes a package to the uh, driver and some extra money. Right. More seven. And then we don't talk about it. Yeah. And then we get to Starkins being like, these people died over here, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and then we get this really, like, it's a joke in the writing, but it is so dark. Um, Where Starkins is like, no, I can't say more. Not with a young girl present. Yeah. (laughs) And then George is like, Lucy's terribly jaded. Look at her. She's seen it all. And she's like, I have seen a lot. And that's fine. I like that as a joke. But then the beds say, like, let's just say they provided his nightly dot, dot, dot entertainments. Yeah. And these are people he kept in a torture chamber. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) That's so terrible. And horrific. Wow. Yeah, it's a bad place. Um, so then on the next page, 
I don't know, Starkins is still talking about whether – he lives kind of near the Haunted Mansion, but in his little cottage that he's decked out with iron. So no ghosts there. And I don't know. I just think it's – I just wrote down a note where I wish we knew more about how – like, why don't ghosts leave their houses? Can they only go so far from their sources? That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, that's that's how I've always understood it. I thought they said that at some point. And it's Oh, maybe. Oh, you know what? Maybe they did. And it's so it's like it has to do with the strength of the ghost too, I think. Like type ones can not go very far at all, and type twos can go further. And then it depends on if they're a changer and blah blah blah. So like that's part of the whole thing about the the uh, ghost lamps that I think is like right. security theater because like the ghost can't go that far from its source anyway. So it's not like they're going to be patrolling the streets or like they might be able to go out into the street because of where their source is, but they can't like go from one neighborhood to another unless somebody's transporting their source around. So I enjoy at the end of the chapter where Starkins thinks that uh, the kids don't believe him and then Lucy and Locker are like, no, 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 we absolutely believe you. And George is like, eh. <laughs> yeah. George is <laughs> like, not Like, way to go with the flow there. <laughs> but it's also like, it's kind of what I said earlier, that the character is like that trope in horror stories of like, you know, don't go up to the, in like Scooby-Doo or something. Like, don't go to yeah. the amusement park. It's been closed ever since those kids died. And then, you know, they have to make an active choice to go do it. But then, like, I love that George is, like, kind of in in on the joke here that, like, we don't need this character at all because, like, the entire act of having this job is to make that choice every day. And so, like, he's here and he's doing his thing. But, like, the thing is, like, a joke. Yeah. So, chapter 19, Mr. Fairfax pays the debt of 60K, serves high tea, and then leaves the children to fend for themselves overnight. <laughs> right. We get a nice little tour of the house while it's safe. Yeah. This is so wild to me that he, like, wants to sleep in his haunted house, but not in his haunted house. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the the chapter art is a stairway with a uh, dragon. Yeah. I think they talk about the statues in here, but I don't remember what they were. So that's useful. It had something to do with like, that's where the skulls would get put by that Red Baron guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The The money gets wired to Lockwood's account. That is very important that Fairfax does that right away. Yeah. And that we it is brought to our attention. Don't worry, everyone. Despite the fact that, Fair, despite the fact that Fairfax doesn't make it, Lockwood & Co. is safe. <laughs> I think this is a good plan on his part, though, um, because it might seem stupid that Fairfax does this. But I think that um, what he's banking on, of course, is that they die. Yeah. And then it would be like, I understood that these young people had that they had a a debt, you know, from their mismanagement of their thing. And like this just makes them look generous. And like and so I wanted to make sure that restitution was paid to the family of Annabelle Ward, blah, 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 blah. And so it like fully insulates him from being connected to that whole thing at all in a way that I think is like pretty smart. Uh, Speaking as someone who works in finance, you also probably have a certain number of days where you can go into the bank and say, hey, that was a mistake. I want my money back. Oh, interesting. So you think he would just take the 60K back? I don't know. It's a possibility though. Yeah. The super important thing here, or what takes up a lot of space anyway, is crossing the threshold, right? Yes, I love this bit. It's, I feel like it's almost where he gets the most horror story. It really like shifts the mood. It's good. Yeah. Oh, there's a bit where he's de- uh, describing the deeper silence of the house. I sensed it all around me, sentient and aware. And that just feels very much like The Shining to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. It makes you feel like it's not the ghost, it's the house or the building itself that's alive and watching you. Yeah. The bit that I highlighted like that says the house was just the gate. The silence continued forever. Yes. And it was waiting for us. That's very good. It's a that thing. I talked about it at the beginning of the book, too, where like silence is an absence, but he makes it into like a presence that has yeah, a, yeah intentions and stuff. And it's like 
very creepy. But yeah, she hesitates at the threshold, which is like, again, it's an inversion of the beginning of the book where she made sure to go right through uh, where they met Annabelle Ward. And so we're like still inverting a lot of things like we're going into this house with full, complete knowledge. We're as prepared as we are possibly mm-hmm. allowed to be. All three of the people are here this time instead of just two. And yet Lucy is like n- not following the rules of the Fitz manual again. She's mm-hmm. like letting the house into her defenses. And she is like having some kind of empathic response with the house and like feeling out its strength. And so like, I just think that's super interesting that again, she's not following the rules, but that's like an important part of how they win. Yes, absolutely. I also think more to your, or uh, to your previous point, because there's a bit where she looks back outside and she sees like the light across the countryside and how soon it'll be, you know, spread it'll the land with it, blah, 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 words. Um, <laughs> soon it'll be gone and darkness will be everywhere, which of course will release the ghosts. And that is kind of where she makes a choice mm. to do it, to go in, I think. Because mm-hmm. she's like, mm, well, nope, we got to go in. And I like that they paired this hesitation with her looking back out. Right, yeah. But yeah, Lucy continues to be very affected by the house. And at one point she does ask the boys if they sense it also. George doesn't answer either way, but Lockwood nods and says, yeah, I feel it too. And I feel like the books make it easy to forget that Lockwood is also very talented. Yeah. Later when they get by the Red Room, all three of them, even George, is like, oh, this place is bad. Yeah, George doesn't say he doesn't feel anything. I think maybe he's just eating tarts. I don't know. Yeah, he's like, he, he doesn't answer at all. I don't think he wants to think about it. Yeah, I made a note here about when they go through the bags. And I, I think this is like a payoff to Lockwood. It's the first payoff to Lockwood's weird behavior about like, I got to go to the bathroom and stuff. He says Fairfax got his men to check over our bags. They wanted to make sure we hadn't brought any canisters of Greek fire. And George mm-hmm. is like, they can't do that. Again, George, the rules lawyer of the group is like, what are you doing? That's not right. And so we're just like, we're reinforcing that like, this is Fairfax's show. It's his rules, but that Lockwood, if you're thinking about it and you're rereading it, especially that Lockwood is like playing his own game. Yeah. I also like that. They don't bring it up with him. Like they did in the show. Like they don't protest that that, I don't know. I thought that was always weird in the show where they, they were like, you can't do that to Fairfax's face and he was just like I can do whatever I want and I was like obviously, <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> like what you-, you but you broke the rules and he's like yeah I'm powerful that's how it works uh, but then they do sit down to tea with Fairfax and Fairfax talks about the different wings and how he can be in his own safe protected area and but they're not going to be there obviously they have to spend the night in the bad area And then how bad it is. Yeah, he's like, if you get in real trouble, just bang on the huge iron door really loud and I'll probably come. So great. Probably. Yeah, the front door is going to be unlocked, but the iron door is into the safe area. We're going to lock those. Yeah. Because ghosts can open doors doors. if they're not locked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So just FYI. Um, But this is where we discover that he played Hamlet in in some Shakespeare when he was young. There's literally, isn't it a painting of him as Hamlet? Yes. The, um, oh, it's a photograph, not a painting. Okay. Uh, but it, yeah, one wall was almost covered by a large collection of framed photographs, some in color, most in black and white. The largest of all, right in the center, showed a serious young man in doublet, rough and tights, scrutinizing a moldy looking skull. Right. Lots of skulls in this book for not... For a book not called The Whispering Skull. Right, yeah. And so this is where we get the second part of the clue. Like, we threw away the first time, like, that's not relevant. But then we bring Mm -hmm. it up again, which I think is necessary, and it's done really well. And I think that in the immediate scene, it's played for Fairfax's vanity and not for, like, the thing that it actually is, is, like, the crucial clue, the last puzzle piece for the locket and all that. Mm -hmm. 
And then, yeah, Fairfax sort of finishes off with some Red Baron info and brings them to the Red Room. Oh, and points out that they found the Screaming Staircase in the big central staircase. Which is, like, wrong. Yes. That's why I wanted to make sure we wrote that up. Yeah. I like that it's wrong. I think it, it's on purpose because, like, nothing is what it seems. Like, Lockwood's behavior is not what it seems. Fairfax is not what he seems. The house is not mm-hmm. what he's... Like, it's all of a piece, right? And it's another clue about, like, the hidden nature of the house and who the killer is and all of that stuff. So, like, I really like that the staircase, which is the titular staircase, is not the staircase. Like, that's... I think that's a great choice. Yeah, but it is, like, this is the staircase that gets put on the cover of the book. Right. And all that sort of thing. So this is the one that looks like it should be impressive. And then the real staircase is like an actual like claustrophobic, scary, like underground weird staircase that would actually be scary in real life. (laughs) Eventually they get like a 10 minutes till sunset, I suppose, warning. Mm -hmm. And so then the the trio starts putting on all their gear. And they have quite a bit for not being allowed to bring flares uh, but I, I mentioned it because at one point Lucy says that she has a six foot long iron chain, a tightly wound with bubble wrap. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> she says to pre- to prevent excessive noise, right? And I get it, but <laughs> if 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 Stroud hadn't mentioned that, it wouldn't have occurred to me at all that it would be like clinking. I I think it's funny too because bubble wrap is capitalized, which makes me. Yes. Feel like an editor was like, Bubble Wrap is a brand and we need to like call them up and make sure that they're okay with us, including their brand and our, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like in, if you write a story and you say like, the realtor sold the house, then you like, realtor is like a company, like Kleenex is a company, you know, like what I mean? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's not, a realtor is not a job. That's a, it's like, I can't remember the what the... It's like you're a property broker or something like that. A realtor is a brand. It's just one of those things that like a copy editor would know, like, oh, capitalize that, please, because that's a brand. Yeah. Which is not the point you were making at all, but it's funny. No, but it it is weird that it is capitalized. Not something I've ever thought about with bubble wrap before. Definitely. I wonder what the off-brand ones are called. Yeah, I don't know. They're plastic bubbles not important <laughs> um i think what's important there though again is the inversion of the first you know bungled without mission the chains without yeah. all the stuff yeah no chains yeah. we've got we're as prepared as we could possibly be yeah um and then they're ready to go and fairfax is like anything else any questions they don't say anything not even, you know, no, they just stand there. Well, the the line is really good. It says, each of us stood there quietly waiting for him to shut his trap and go. Yep. <laughs> Classic Lucy internal dialogue. Adults are useless. <laughs> and then after he does leave, <laughs> George has that great thing where he's like, wouldn't it be good if he'd forgotten his stick and he had to scurry back in to pick it up? <laughs> Absolutely ruin the effect. So I highlighted this too, and my note was, this is very Buffy coded. (laughs) I can see that. My note was just, oh, George. It feels like such a Buffy the Vampire Slayer joke where it would actually happen. They wouldn't just talk about it. That would be the thing that happens. Yes. Yeah, you'd have to come back in. But yeah, that's that's everything. The lead up to the actual thing that we're going to talk about next time of the finding the source of Coombe Carey Hall and solving the the case or the rest of part four this is part four right yeah part four i know what we're doing uh best joke yeah so i think my favorite joke is just like the whole car ride even though you say that's normal behavior it's deranged (laughs) and then it's the whole thing of like can i have your red duffel i'll be back tomorrow well i'll i'll check in anyway even though you say you'll be fine i'll just double back and check um yep that's good stuff it is i'd never said it wasn't deranged also like it is deranged <laughs> i just think it's common or maybe it's not and i just had one really bad driver 
my favorite joke was George taking the skull into the bubble bath, specifically when Lucy says uh, something like, you were naked with it. <laughs> He's like, I was just testing the effects of heat on ectoplasm, blah, 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 blah. Gets very defensive. I feel like one of the things that Lucy and Skull bond over is hating George. And you can see why <laughs> Skull hates George. I mean, Skull takes it a little far. Yeah. But yeah. He's extreme. Most punk rock. I think in some, like if you're rereading the book, I think that a lot of Lockwood's behavior is pretty punk rock. Where he's like, I'm not playing by your rules, man. I'm playing by my rules. Yeah, that's the sneaking in of the salt of the flares and such is good. But you just don't know that that's happening in yeah. technically. Um, so then, like, this portion is just so expository. I don't think that there is anything. I I guess it would maybe Lucy, obviously. Like, that's what I said. Yeah. That's what I thought. Like, it is pretty weak, but her deciding to talk to Annabelle Ward. Yeah. Because it is so against the rules. It's true. That was my thought. But um, it, it doesn't feel punk rock in the moment, you know? It's a little... It's not performative. Yeah. And it's a little bit like calling it punk rock for you to make a pipe bomb in your basement or something. Like, it, it sure is dangerous. I don't know if it's like <laughs> against the man or something like... You sure yeah. could kill yourself doing that. I think you could make an argument for it being fuck the man just because of it was, you know, Fitz who made the rules. But Fitz was the one who didn't have to. Marissa Fitz in particular was the one who didn't need to adhere to the rules. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's the most rule breaking thing that happens in this whole thing. So uh, next time we'll be talking about the second part of part four. Until then, you can follow the show on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. And if you uh, want to reach out to us, please send your emails to contact at hollowgroundmedia.com. Visit the contact page on the website at hollowgroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember to always have high tea before being locked in a haunted mansion. And this week we are discussing part one of part four, chapters 17 through 19. Yeah, this isn't confusing. You know, I, I don't think it is. No. I think people yeah, are smart. It's fine. It's us that's dumb. and <laughs> thought we could do these full parts all in one episode and that it wouldn't take us five hours. I can remember like 20 years ago or whatever thinking... Why would they ever name it Final Fantasy Part 10, Part 2? But now here yeah. I am doing the same things. I understand. You didn't, you didn't need to put the gears ago on that. I you didn't. know, you could have just been nice. Yep. Oldness. <clears throat> I'm just. <laughs> uh, okay, hold on. I'm just pouring tea. And I just waited till after we started. <laughs> that way it's hot you always get caught you think you can get away with something at home when everybody else is gone but no they always walk in at the last second and misunderstand and be like be a book. I was I just trying to cook food I don't know what happened to the kitchen it's just this just happened I don't know <laughs> that's not like an experience you've had I don't it's a specific kind of denial that's true <laughs> to when when he takes Lucy's side it says like I was almost as surprised as George whose lower jaw now resembled a gently moving swing <laughs> which is pretty good I did not catch that that's funny including the, the Paris to London train <laughs> you know where we had to go through customs yeah which highly recommend taking a train through customs because the stamp you get in your passport had a little train on it. Oh, that's cute. God, I'm sad I don't have that passport anymore. <sighs> that's funny because like I am such a American bumpkin who lives in the Midwest and I'm like, 
there's no train that goes over the water like what you're saying but then i remembered that i i understand what you mean it doesn't go over it goes under yeah i know there's a tunnel yeah, yeah okay i got it no bridge it took me a while but it's a little bit like when somebody says and then we took a car trip to japan and i'm like wait a minute no you didn't <laughs> it's uh, uh it was, it's a lot less interesting than you than I imagined as a child when it was first built. Because in my head, as a kid, I was like, oh, you can see the fish. But, um, oh, that would be awesome. No, that would be silly. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that would be awesome from a sight perspective, but from a safety perspective. No, it's crazy. No, you, you, you get like a lot of French countryside and then blackness yeah. and then sheep. And you're like, oh, I must be in England. <laughs> That's great. Maybe it's very common yeah. for teachers... Like, it makes sense, I guess, to write books that you know the kids will like because you've had so much interaction with them. Yeah. Teacher is like the classic um, writer job because it's like they're both like not real work, not like picking up heavy <laughs> things and moving them around work, you know, like brain work. I feel the need to tell everyone that uh, Alan is joking. <laughs> he does think teaching is real work. Oh, no. It's like the worst, like underpaid, like terrible, the way that we treat teachers in America. Like I have a lot of respect for teachers, unlike yeah. George here. I, yeah, it's so terrible. I have a lot of respect for anybody who can spend eight hours with 30 children yeah. of any age. Oof. Yeah. Let alone get things done. I understand that most animals that we eat are pretty cute, but foxes are really cute. <laughs> that's, <sighs> that's a big part of the problem. I mean, I, I also think chickens are very cute and delicious. <laughs> so, <sighs> yeah. well, the life of an omnivore. Anyways, um, anything else or shall we move on to chapter 19? No, I'm poking Mojo because he's snoring so loud next to me. I'm like, dude cut it out for them to find but maybe i'm just purely remembering I think that you've, from the show you've smooshed um my summary okay. is a lie your summary is a lie and remember to always have high tea before being locked in a haunted oh, fuck me so and remember to always have high tea before being locked in a haunted mansion <laughs> jesus pitkin's best yeah. <laughs> Not a real brand. I have Googled it. 